This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi guys, no, 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 no. Yes, I did that. And you would do it too for a check. What is this? A face? What is this? A boop? Oh my God. Facebook. I did Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. And Arnold Schwarzenegger deliberately farted in my face, actress claims. That's the headline <laughs> we're leading with this week. Did you see this at all? I have not seen this at all. So this is this is the actress in question is Miriam Margulies. Do you have you seen her on TikTok? She's like pretty popular on TikTok. No, I have not. So she's perhaps best known for playing Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter movies. Do you have that part of the nerd gene? I feel like you know Harry. You have like an awareness of Harry Potter. Everyone's seen Harry Potter. There's not even like a question of that. Yeah, she's got a pretty popular TikTok where she like, ironically, I guess, for this story, posts videos of herself farting mostly like that's that those are most of her videos are just like fart jokes. OK, then. But she gave an interview to a podcast where she claims that when she was shooting End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1999, he purposefully farted in her face. And this is what she says. Uh, lying on the floor and he just farted. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't on film. It was in a, one of the pauses. But. I haven't forgiven him for it. <laughs> Miriam says this was very clearly intentional. Maybe it was. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. He impregnated his maid. Like, I wouldn't put him past him to do something like that. <laughs> but like, also, sometimes you can't control yourself around celebrities. Did I ever tell you the story about my friend who met Brad Pitt? Oh, <laughs> they were at a fundraiser. And he told me that Brad Pitt told him there was like another person in the circle. And after the other person left, Brad turned to my friend and went, do you smell that? And he was like, yeah, it smells kind of bad in here. And Brad was like, every time I meet someone new, they get so excited that they fart. So it always smells bad around me. <laughs> and then he walked away. Actually, I don't know how I'd react to Brad Pitt. I, I would probably try really hard not to, to fart in front of him. Well, now that you know that people regularly and routinely fart around him, <laughs> I, I mean, and that he's like cognizant of it and it uses it yeah. as like an anecdote at parties, then I'm sure you'll be very conscious of it if you meet Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so maybe Arnold was starstruck by Miriam Margulies and that's why... Maybe he was. He was just too excited. That's why he farted in her face. You wanted to talk about Liam Payne, right? <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to point out Mm -hmm. A quick update, which is that over the weekend, it was the 12 year anniversary of My Life Being Changed, which was the formation of One Direction. And X Factor decided to release a video that they have been apparently holding on to for 12 years, which is the video of the judges from X Factor putting together the boys who had auditioned that would become One Direction. There's a lot to unpack from the video. I watched it several times. But basically, the biggest thing is that both Liam and I were kind of right, which is the idea that Liam was going to be the lead of One Direction. Like, they literally call him the lead of the band. But also, like, Simon says something kind of shady about him, which is that Liam thinks he's better than everyone else, which is also Which is true. what we discussed. But, yeah. Like, both things I mean, can be true. I mean, that part is also very true. 
The most shocking part of the video to me was that Nicole Scherzinger is actually the person who put them together. Like for so long, the narrative has been Simon Cowell put them together. He had the like brilliant idea of putting these five boys together. Like Simon said that the boys said that like, that's just like the belief that everyone had. But the reality is when you watch the video, Nicole Scherzinger is the one who looks at a photo of Niall, puts a photo of Harry next to Niall and says, oh my God, they're so cute. The girls are going to love them. The girls are going to be obsessed. And she's right. And then she also is the one who puts Louis with them. She ends up deciding basically who is going to be in One Direction. So props to Nicole Scherzinger. It makes sense because why? I mean, how could a straight man come up with the lineup of One Direction? Like, that's not something that a straight man is capable of doing. Like, these are five incredibly cute boys that I know that 12-year-old girls will love. Like, that, a straight man does not have the emotional or intellectual capacity to do that. Right. So it was, like, really fun to see that. It was, like, Nicole Scherzinger who made that executive decision. And I hope that she gets more credit. I hope she gets a cut of the One Direction royalties now. She's the sixth member. I mean, we were talking about her earlier. She's very underrated to me. Yeah, she's super talented. She's a really, really great singer. She's done a lot of, like, theater stuff. Like, she's done Phantom and, like, Cats and all that stuff. And she ends up, like, I don't know. She just hasn't had the career that a lot of people who came from that same era have had, but whatever. I'm I'm a big fan of Nicole. I'm a big fan of the Pussycat Dolls. Like, I wish her nothing but the best. And I love that she did poppers with Sam Smith in London. I think that's really cool of her. <laughs> but when would she not have done... Like, who's surprised that Nicole Scherzinger does poppers with her gay friends in London? Like, like who's surprised by I feel that? like as a vocalist, maybe she would be like a little like weird about doing drugs that you have to inhale. I don't know. Oh, Leah Michelle would definitely never do poppers with Jonathan Groff. That's true. Leah Leah Michelle would be like, I have a polyp. I can't do this. (laughs) So let's move on to one of the most discussed stories of the week, which is pink sauce. And much like Babbing, EJ and I have decided against doing a flop or not segment for our first story of the day with this. But it's I would say it's almost as gross as Babbing. It sounds as gross as Babbing. I would say grosser to me. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I would say that. Yeah. And it's become the widely contested viral condiment of of TikTok this past week. So the background on Pink Sauce is that it was created by a TikToker who goes by the name Chef P. And it's this <laughs> bright pink concoction that, that she had been sort of showing off on, on TikTok. And it has a dragon fruit base. It's like the big twist of Pink Sauce. So for the internet crowd, the pink color is aesthetically pleasing, like, it's not surprising that something bright pink would take off on TikTok. The idea of like pink colored sort of apartments and accessories always do really well on like interior design, TikTok and Instagram and Pinterest. And even if millennial pink is technically dead, the hue is still really popular with Gen Z crowds. So of course, like for aesthetic purposes, people were probably very intrigued by getting a pink colored sauce to make all their food pink. From a culinary perspective though, the pink sauce looks really medicinal, but we'll get on the taste later. Mm-hmm. So... Chef P's sauce quickly went really viral on TikTok, and she posted numerous videos of herself making, boxing, and taste testing her own product. She would pour it on salads or dip chicken fingers into it. She even did man-on-the-street type tastings, asking people if they could describe what it tasted like. Many of the people who tried it on her TikTok pointed out that for better or for worse, it was indescribable, and Chef P would state that many, many times on her own, and she would even go so far as to avoid telling people what she thinks it tastes like. Like people would point blank ask her, like, what's the taste? And she would say, I can't describe it. Like she would just ignore any request for description of the sauce that she is selling for $20 a bottle, which. Well, she was marketing it. I get it. That didn't offend me I so much. I think that's kind of red flaggy. 
I don't know. Like, I think if like you're going to sell something that has an abnormal color, I would give at least like a few descriptions of what it tastes like. People had such mixed descriptions of it that it was going from like spicy to sweet. Like there was no uniform description of it for a really long time, at least of the early TikTok reviews of it. What she should have done is she should have gotten like really vague and metaphysical about it. She should have been like, it is a canvas onto which you can project your deepest fears and neuroses. (laughs) It changes with your mood. So... As the sauce spread, more people with pretty big followings would go on to try it. Again, the pink color. There's a lot of people who sort of like were very dedicated to the pink aesthetic. And so you see a lot of videos of people who just like wanted to try it out because they thought it looked cute. So the reviews were obviously very mixed between negative to relatively unimpressed. It's very watery. I will say that. And there's like little flakes. Everyone says it tastes like a sweet ranch and that's not what I'm getting at all. So early shipments created delivery nightmares, which was also a big kind of scandal around it, which is that for some buyers who would have just like bought it pretty early on before she repackaged it, they were getting exploded bottles on their doorsteps. The seal of it wasn't really properly done. Sometimes the smell was really rotten or it had taken like weeks for the shipping to actually get there. Many were confused by the color because it was so much lighter in person. It looks nothing like what Chef P had posted. No one had a bottle of the sauce that looked anything like the way that it looked on the website or on Chef P's TikTok. And others thought it was just spicy ranch that was being sold for 20 bucks a pop. Like the slightly more enthusiastic reviews of the taste were just that it tasted like any sort of normal ranch, but just with like a spicy twist and a pink color. So of course, that meant that the backlash really got started soon after. So lots of TikTokers pointed out that the sauce was an FDA nightmare. No preservatives or expiration date were used on the sauce. There's dairy in it as well. So that's why I was also kind of a concern about there being no expiration date. And there's also loads of incorrect information on the bottle, like the listing of 444 servings per bottle, which was mathematically wrong. And also the calories per serving would have meant that it would have equaled 40,000 calories per bottle, which is also false. So Chef P's comments were immediately filled with people who seemed ready to hitch their ride to a potential class action lawsuit. There's a lot of people kind of making unfounded claims that the sauce was making them sick or that was rotten or that they had food poisoning or anything about that. And that quickly filled up a lot of her page. And of course, P went on the defense and she stated that she's not perfect and emphasized the struggles of being a small business owner when everything she needs to do is perfect. To which I add, if you're selling food that people can consume, then yes, I think it should be perfect. That's just (laughs) one woman's opinion. So EJ reached out to the FDA for comment. They responded. Yeah, but not really. What did they say? I mean, I can read it to you. They, they said basically like don't fucking bother us with this shit was like the long and short of it they sent they sent me like the packaging guidelines they didn't say anything specific about whether or not the pink sauce violates their packaging guidelines for condiments so basically my in between the lines reading of it was don't fucking I, we don't fucking care like stop 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 asking us about this right like I think that was a lot of people were introduced to it through a lot of really viral videos that other tiktokers had made pointing out a lot of the flaws and kind of the logistical and dietary concerns of it. And she seems to be doing fine still. She's still shipping it out. As of Monday, she resumed shipping. She said she was going to find a new way to deliver the pink sauce to people and that her team were going to recalibrate and make it just less of a mess of a rollout. Personally, I'm ready for the Heinz Easy Squirt comeback to launch in the coming months as a response to this. Like, I think it's almost time. Did you ever eat that? No, I don't believe in condiments. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a condiment person. I love, I love a sauce. I love anything. I love mayo with fries. I love ketchup on things. Like I'm a big fan. I'm not like one of those people who has to put like ketchup on everything. It's an option. Like I'm not going to eat just like dry chicken nuggets. 
And I dip him in barbecue sauce. A sauce is different than a condiment. Those aren't kind of the same family. The same uses, at least, for that you would use pink sauce for. Would you try a pink colored sauce? Like, barring the, the controversy around pink sauce, like, would you try a pink colored sauce? No, because I wouldn't try... Like, I've learned my lesson from buying things off TikTok. Like, I bought those yoga pants that were supposed to make your butt look really big. That's probably the only thing that I've bought from TikTok. And I just felt so tragic wandering around in them at my gym with, like, a saggy ass, like, completely (laughs) unchanged, like, watching all these other women wear them and have similarly saggy asses that I just... I've learned my lesson about buying anything off that app that's hyped. (laughs) Honestly, would you try it? Would you buy it? I don't think I would try this one. I don't like dragon fruit as a thing, as like a base for a sauce. Like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't sound like the ingredient list is not for me, but like I loved Easy Squared as a kid. Like I think like I would definitely try some sort of pink hued sauce if it were sold at like, you know, like that place Stickies, like the chicken finger joint. Like if they had like that, if they were like, here's like our pink sauce, I'd be like, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think like buying food off of social media is always a little bit of a true test of your own will to to live. But it's also, I feel emblematic of straight culture to buy $20 pink colored sauces on TikTok, which brings us to our next segment. Straight people. Welcome to Straight People, where we discuss the goings-on of the heterosexually inclined among us. This happened last week, but I still feel comfortable talking about it because it's perhaps the biggest news for straight people in quite some time, at least for straight men. Like, at no point have I seen heterosexuals so invigorated by this news. Like, it's really just added a (laughs) a spring to everybody's step, to straight men's step. (laughs) I am speaking of the divorce of Emily Ratajkowski and her dirtbag ex-husband, Sebastian Bear McClard. This divorce was rumored for a while. In fact, like, I would argue it was rumored right after they got married because, like, nobody had heard of him. Well, because she also... No one knew that they were together until they were, like, married or something. Like, it was, like, a really long sort of, like, they had dated for a while and then... All of a sudden, like, she was like, okay, here's my husband. It was either when they got married or had a kid. Like, it was like, by the way, here's him. Yeah. What happened is she was dating this other guy who was also like a relative normie relative to her, who was a music producer. And they broke up. And then eight days later, she was like, surprise, I got married to this guy who looks like Dennis the Menace got lip filler. And everybody was like, cool. I'm really happy for you, Emrata. But apparently they've been friends for a while. And we don't know a ton about him. We know he's the son of prominent New York City artists and he was sort of a scene kid. He hung out with the Safties. He has a producer credit on Anka Jams. But it's unclear like what exactly he does. Like on Wikipedia, it says he's a producer, but that could mean anything. Could also just be because he has that one production credit. They were married for a few years before they had their baby, Sylvester. And they were pretty low key. On occasion, he would be in the news for something like he failed to pay his landlord $120,000. But she defended it on Twitter She said, I'm proud he's fighting the good fight against a real estate conglomerate that bought the building he lives in for 40 million and has continued to spread misinformation on its tenants in order to profit, which I think is great spin. Yeah, like that sounds like something she would do. She's very much like super, super far left and very much like this seems like something she would reasonably do. But I do not believe that this guy would do this. Like, I feel like that's a difference. Yeah, she's very social justice oriented. Like it made a lot of sense. Have you read her book? I don't read very often. I'm not going to read Emrata's book. I'll tell you that much for free. (laughs) Maybe I'll read something else. The fancy strikes. Well, I loved Love of Love, that piece that she did. I think it might have been an excerpt from the book or something. But like, I believe it was like for New York Magazine where she talked about like a portrait that was taken of her that ended up just becoming like a big art piece and like in a book or something. I thought that was really good. Yeah, she's had, I mean, her whole thing has been like, she has had to fight 
very hard to be taken seriously because she correctly, I think, knows that she's so good looking that it's almost impossible for somebody that good looking to be taken seriously for anything other than their looks, which I think is very sad. But like, it's unfortunately just the world that we live in. And she came to prominence in like the worst video in the Blurred Lines video. Like that song and that video were so controversial. Like that's how she came. Like the fact that she was able to rise from that, I have a lot of respect from because that could have just like been the only thing that people knew her from. And I feel like she's moved on from a lot of that. Yeah. And the fact that she's had to continuously fight for that respect, like throughout her career, kind of makes what happens next with her marriage worse. Because a few months back, Dumois starts publishing blind items suggesting that Emily's husband is basically cheating on her with like a bevy of waitresses at local downtown bars. Then on July 14th, she spotted walking around the village without her ring. And it was then confirmed by people. And then on page six, it was confirmed that he cheated with one source close to the couple calling him a quote unquote serial cheater and a quote unquote dog. And a lot of the discourse centered on the fact that people's minds were just like blown that some objectively worse looking nobody, which is what this guy essentially is, would have the balls to cheat on a woman who looks like Emily Ratajkowski. But that was like, I mean, that's very boring to me because like, Obviously, there are many men who are really fragile and would fuck a toaster if it laughed at their jokes after they've had a bad day at work. It must be hard in his defense, sort of. It must be hard to be a man (laughs) married to Emily Ratajkowski. Yeah, I mean, I think like it's one of those things where you like guys like that clearly do not have anything of their own. He's much less famous than her. He's much less hot than her. But the fact that he was able to bag someone like her makes him probably feel like he has an inflated sense of ego that like he can do whatever. There was this other discourse that was calling like this discourse problematic because men cheat on objectively hot women like Beyonce and Shakira all the time, which is like true. Like it's not wrong. It's just kind of an it's just an annoying conversation all around. Do like have you observed human behavior? Like has anybody <laughs> has anybody like observed human behavior recently? There's been some like minimal drama surrounding this divorce that has been vaguely funny. Like, did you see that she was wearing a baseball cap when she was spotted by Paps and it had c'est n'importe quoi on it, which translates to it's nonsense or it doesn't matter, which is like a time honored celebrity tool to like give a big fuck you to the press. Talk with your clothes. (laughs) Give me a message on a hat. I love that. Bring back like novelty shirts. But to me, the funniest part is how there are all these gossip accounts now reporting on these famous dudes who like think they have a shot with her now. Like apparently Drake has expressed interest. John Mayer. Drake expressing interest in anyone is like, is the sun hot? It's not news anymore for people to be like, Drake slid to this woman's DMs. Like he's sliding into like normie people's DMs all the time. It's not, (laughs) it's not hard to bag Drake. Like it's post to thirst trap online, tag him and he will see it. If you tag him in a post, he will find it. Maybe we should test that out. (laughs) I'm just saying. I know. I'm ready. I know you're listening. (laughs) Take me to techno raves with you, which is what he's doing. It's kind of like the Super Bowl for like extremely arrogant straight men right now, or like the Westminster dog show for the gayer among us. (laughs) I wish absolutely none of them luck, frankly. I think she should take some time for herself and she can be like the rest of us getting over a breakup and she can use her vibrator a lot and she can 
watch a lot of Kate Hudson movies. So now's the opportunity. When she's ready, when she's ready, she should pull a Janet Jackson or an Eve and just marry some nobody billionaire who does something that's probably vaguely suspicious and just go on with her life. <laughs> Let's move on to a real American girl doll then. So it has been, I mean, like my entire Instagram feed has been taken over by American Girl Dolls. I'm sure yours has been, EJ. Like, it's become such a big meme. And, I mean, for those who didn't own several, as I did as a kid, an American Girl Doll, if you missed this by any chance, is a kind of mid-sized doll that ran a series of historical dolls. And you could also custom-make them. The historical dolls were a particularly huge hit, inspired book series and even movies. One that starred, I think, Julia Roberts in it. And it expanded on all the stories of the dolls. So I had Kit... And I think I told you I had Samantha earlier. I don't think I had Samantha. I had Molly. Which ones did you have? Did you lie to me? I just forgot which ones they were. I got the white ones confused. I have white facial blindness. We've gone over this. It extends to the American Girl dolls. Brittany, one of them has braids. The other one has wavy brown hair. She has wavy chestnut hair. And every single book opens with that descriptor. Okay, well, they're both white brunette dolls. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. So I get my friends confused. Like, I don't know. But it was the one with the glasses. It was Molly. I got it. (laughs) My grandma got it for me because she was like, she wears glasses like you. Molly was the canonically lesbian one. Yeah. So I think your grandmother was also trying maybe to send another message of like acceptance and inclusion. Maybe. (laughs) Just like don't date men. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very, very good advice. (laughs) So did you have any? You had them, right? Oh, I had a million. Which ones did you have? So I definitely had Samantha because that was my favorite. And and I had a little sister. So we would sort of like share them. I think we had Addie. I think we had Kirsten. And I think we had later on Felicity and Kit. I had those two and I had a custom one, but I don't really remember if it actually came from American Girl. It might have been a knockoff American Girl doll situation. But anyway, I was a big fan of the brand generally. And I think the way that American Girl as a company expanded is why millennials specifically have such nostalgia for them. So there were there was an American Girl store in many major cities that sold the toys and clothes and accessories. It even had a doll hospital in there, which is just like an incredible thing to have. And a really expansive bookstore and even a cafe. The cafe was in the news recently. And I mean, this is a point of contention for me personally, because it's like a lot of a lot of people are pretending like they invented going to brunch as an adult to the American Girl Cafe. And I just want to say on record that is false. I invented it back in 2015 when I went with a bunch of my friends from Rookie Magazine, shout out to Rookie Magazine. And I organized a brunch there on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We got to rent a doll for the the entirety of our brunch. I wore a crown. It was beautiful. So I just want to say whoever thought that they invented it, you're false. After that trend piece dropped, like Olivia Rodrigo was even seen eating a meal there. So that's why it's it's kind of in vogue right now to go to the American Girl Cafe after I invented it seven years ago. So American Girl... I'm glad this is the hill you're dying on. It's I mean, completely it justifiable. I have photographic proof. I will pull it out if I need to. There's, It's very... It has the Valencia filter on it and everything. It's very 2015. So American Girl is also responsible for a number of non-doll related books. They published The Care and Keeping of You, that book that goes by every few years because people remember that they had it. It was a very progressively straightforward book about the body, aimed for young women. And then there was the Amelia's Diaries books, which was a personal fave of mine. So more recently, the American Girl doll has become a meme. There are edited photos that beg things like, we need an American Girl doll who tried the original Ford logo at a party in 2011, or we need an American Girl doll who is an insider and has the tea on what's happening with Funny Girl on Broadway. I personally love all of these. I think all of these are hilarious. 
So there's actually now a whole community of American Girl Doll micro-influencers, which again, why am I not one of them? Just saying. I feel like I need to rethink my entire life and completely pivot to becoming an American girl. I haven't tried. You haven't tried. I invented the brunch. Another Black woman being erased by history. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, there are some micro-influencers like Clitteridge and Helicity Merriman who make American Girl doll-focused content online. And there's also this guy on TikTok who recreates the meals in the cookbooks and they're fucking disgusting. But Shout out to him for doing it. So it's a little weird that they're coming back now, especially with young millennials and Gen Z, considering the books are very problematic. I haven't read a lot of them. EJ, did you read a lot of them? I'm assuming based on the number of dolls that you had. I did. I have very mixed feelings about them because when I was like seven or eight, I would read all these books and I would get interested in all of these different like historical eras. Like I probably know more about like the labor rights movement of like the 1910s, for instance, than the average person as a result of reading these books. But at the same time, if you reread them from a modern lens, it is very glaring which parts of which narratives they choose to highlight and which ones they don't. So one example is, of course, Addie, who is the sole black doll, and she is a slave. At the time. At the time, she was the sole black doll. Do they expand them? Yeah, I think they have like, I mean, they have a like, they have like a lot of dolls now. Oh, wow. Well, I know they had the custom ones. Yeah, they have like the custom ones. That was a big expansion where people can like make any doll. I, I used to get like the American Girl doll catalog, too, which was like very intriguing if you wanted to look at like doll clothes and shit (laughs) so Addie, who was the now the first black doll that was in the line of american girl dolls is a slave from the civil war era south and she's traumatized throughout the series in the book series in a way that the other characters are not for instance in one formative scene she's forced to eat worms off tobacco leaves and while i love the doll in her books i know a lot of young black girls loved her too there's been a lot of criticism that she was basically the only character framed around her oppression and the founder of the company Pleasant Roland did not even want to introduce her in the first place, saying, I felt that the company initially needed to get established financially before we could take the risk that may be inherent in presenting a doll via direct mail into the African-American market, which is like wacky. It's just like, why? I don't know. Why say that? So Addie aside, there are a few people of color to be found in any of the early ones featuring white characters, even where it would be contextually appropriate. Kristen Larson, for instance, is a homesteader emigrating from Sweden, and she has a native friend, which would have been within the realm of possibility for a settler in Minnesota in the 1840s. But the only thing I remember about her is she marveled at Kristen's golden hair all the time, which is just like a gross thing that a lot of very poorly aged YA books always add. And why wasn't there a doll made for for her? for the friend. So the American Girl Doll franchise definitely presents a whitewashed view of history that is not necessarily compatible with how we currently teach U.S. history. And it's kind of fascinating that like a lot of these micro-influencers are themselves Gen Z who have sort of, I feel like, are more quick to call out a lot of this bullshit than we were when we were younger or even knew what, like how deeply awful and problematic it was. But I still feel like it was incredibly effective to teach kids about things that they wouldn't otherwise know. And like you mentioned a lot about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory and labor rights through Samantha. And yeah, I mean, I still have a lot of love for the American Girl doll. My sister does love them a lot and I've brought her to brunch there. So she's carrying on the torch. Maybe she'll be a micro-influencer. I just remembered another thing I learned from the American Girl doll books from Molly, from Molly's books. I don't think I had the doll, but I had the books. Do you remember when she did a multiplication B in one of the books and she won the B by figuring out that eight times seven is 56? Every time I think about eight times seven, I think, oh, eight times seven is 56 (laughs) because of that book. 
because I would not know that otherwise. What's eight times six? I don't know. It's none of my business. I guess you can say that the American Girl Dolls micro influenced you. (laughs) Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hard seltzer is disgusting unless you're a brand that wants to advertise us with us. <laughs> then we love your hard seltzer. Yes, then yours is delicious. But generally speaking, hard seltzer is disgusting. I don't think I know anyone who genuinely enjoys the flavor, but it's undeniably popular with even beer companies finding room in their coolers for hard seltzer. Between 2018 and 2020, the industry grew from 10 brands to 65. So even if sales are down, it's a cheap and easy way to BYOB to a party or a beach day. So it's not going away anytime soon. So this is where Lauren Powell comes in. She is a self-identified seltzpert who recently made a video of herself blind taste testing six different black cherry flavored hard seltzers with barely a second. I would say no deliberation, no deliberation for any of them. She correctly guessed each brand in just 20 seconds. All right, here we go. Smear enough. That's White Claw. Truly. Oh, high noon. Bud Light. Kirkland. Let's go! It's a huge... I can't stress enough how impressive this video is. It went wildly viral. Many expressed... It was sort of like a mix of, of delight and horror at her abilities. In a follow-up video, Lauren responded to some of the responses, like people were trying to guess what school she went to or what sorority she pledged to, which was a really fun strand of the conversation. We love this video, and we decided to chat with Lauren about her viral testing as well as her seltzpertise. So let's talk about this term seltzpert, (laughs) which is very fun to say. At what point would you say you went from a casual hard seltzer enjoyer to a seltzpert? Oh, boy. I think probably when I reviewed like my 200th seltzer, I was like, I think I, it was a video and I, I use a lot of like really bad puns, just combining words that shouldn't be combined a lot of times. And I used it in a video once and it kind of stuck. And then I just committed and I haven't, that was maybe like a year ago, I think. How many hard seltzers have you tried now? So in the beginning, I was reviewing like 35 at a time in a video. And so it stacked up really quickly. And there were so many new brands. There were so many brands in the very beginning to try. Now I've tried so many that I, I kind of do one pack at a time now. So I think probably like 300 now, but it's, 
yes, I consider that having slowed down. Would you, do you still actually like hard seltzer after, after 300 of them? I do. I, for so many reasons, but honestly, the brands have all kind of figured their shit out a little bit. Like in the beginning, there were so many disgusting ones and those have all kind of like fizzled out. And so now like basically they're all good. Do you get a sense of someone's personality based on their preferred hard seltzer brands? Like, is it like your astrological sign in a way? Only with certain ones. And that's like, okay, if you drink high noon, then I know you listen to Barstool Sports. And so that tells me a lot about your personality. <laughs> or like, it's funny because people will be like, there's a portion of the country that still thinks Bud Light Seltzer is beer. I get comments, not all the time. They're like, is it, does it taste like beer? I'm like, no, it's not beer. <laughs> and you try, I mean, beyond just, of course, Heart Seltzer, you try a lot of canned drinks on your page. So what got you into this content nation? What are some of the recent favorites that you've tried? Well, so like at the beginning of the pandemic, I think we all were probably drinking more. Or was it just me? Like we all were drinking a lot, right? At the beginning. It was like 2020. I think White Claw had been popular for a little while, but everyone was kind of like, does White Claw really get you drunk? It's this weird bubbly water. Is there really any booze in it? So one day I was like, screw it. I'm just going to film myself breathalyzing against a bunch of different White Claws and see how many White Claws it would take me to reach a 0.08. And that kind of blew up for me. And then I was like the White Claw girl, the seltzer girl. And so I kind of just was like, well, let's lean into that. I tested a bunch of different booze types against breathalyzers. And then I just started reviewing every hard seltzer I could find because I had nothing else to do in the summer of the pandemic. And then as far as like one that I've tasted recently that's really good, I did just discover this new one. It's Canadian. It's called Neutral. And it's vodka-based. It has more flavor. It's really good. I mean, I could talk forever about this. For your blind seltzer taste test, why did you choose black cherry specifically? I've been a big, big black cherry fan. Like White Claw Black Cherry used to be the only kind of hard seltzer flavor that I liked. And then everyone started coming out with them. And black cherry is just, usually it's the safest flavor in every pack. Like, if a pack has a bunch of random weird things, a lot of people don't like mango or a lot of people don't like grapefruit, myself included, you can kind of always rely on black cherry. And so that's it's just my favorite seltzer flavor. And it's the one I've drank the most of. So I knew if I was going to do this test that it had to be something that I know like the back of my hand. Of course, the video blew up well beyond TikTok and made its way to Twitter. And you posted a really hilarious follow-up video about a lot of the comments and a lot of the tweets that were coming in about your taste test. And a lot of them made a lot of assumptions about you and about you being like a lot of comments were like that you're a Southern sorority girl based off the self-expertise. So were any of the comments correct? And what was also like, what was your reaction to seeing it sort of blow up on Twitter? It's really interesting. It blew up on Twitter initially in front of an audience that is not like I am not someone that they see. They don't watch hard seltzer content probably. So number one, they already hate hard seltzer. So they, they don't trust me. And then it was like, people make a lot of assumptions. Number one, if you can pick five of any type of alcohol out, people made assumptions that I am like an alcoholic because the only way you could ever pull this off is if you're drinking nonstop every day, all day. But I've been used to like, people have been saying things about my liver and that for a very long time. So I think I'm used to that. It was the thread, honestly, when this like journalist from the Atlantic chimed in and I guess she's like a sports journalist. So she was like, I need to know what school this, what college this girl went to. And I went to this big college basketball school. So I'm obsessed with college sports in that sense. So I was like, this is a crossover I never saw coming. Like I liked her thread, whatever. People honestly, they assume you're Southern if you can drink, which I'm not offended by because I'm 
from North Carolina. I didn't really understand the old Miss thing. And then I guess there's like a blonde type of blonde person in Mississippi. I don't know. And then uh, people assumed like party schools or whatever, but I replied to those. I try not to reply to like really hateful stuff because I don't want to give people that satisfaction. And that comment thread just really made me laugh, honestly. It sounds like you kind of had mixed feelings about like the response to the video. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. Like you put some of it you were amused by and some of it you were like, it hit a little closer to home. The comments of the people who aren't familiar or like with alcohol content, I would say, it feels like you're reaching a demo of people that never should have seen your video. It's almost like when the algorithm, when TikTok or Instagram serves you a video and you're like, I don't like, why are you serving me this? I don't like this kind of stuff. You get offended. So it's like, I'm like, well, my video wasn't meant for these people. So in a sense, it makes it like easier to not take offense because I'm like, well, yeah, you're gonna hate this content because this isn't what you were interested in seeing today. If people who are interested in hard seltzer content and then they tear me down, that one hurts. Those sting a little bit more. So I'm like, well, you are my audience and you hate me. I'll just go cry. Okay, got it. One of the reactions I saw to the video was that it was like the apex of white girl culture, basically. What do you make of that classification? As far as the basic bitch genre goes, I've leaned into that. I want to take that back like it used to be. Oh man, if you like pumpkin spice lattes and rosé wine, you're basic and that's an insult. And it's like, well, guess what? Pumpkin spice lattes are delicious and rosé wine is fun to day drink with. So I, I guess I'm basic. White girl culture thing, I know where people are coming from and I think people make assumptions that like, oh, I'm a Karen because they don't know anything about me. And I think I don't get offended by that kind of thing because I'm like, well, Probably a lot of other stupid things you've seen on the internet did result in someone being like a horrible person. And I know that I'm not, and these people just don't kind of know me. Given how many you've had and the fact that you do enjoy drinking it outside of the content you create, like if you had to choose one hard seltzer brand to drink for the rest of your life, which one would it be? White Claw. It's the easiest to drink five of. That's how, like I have different moods for different <laughs> types of seltzers, but White Claw, you can drink five and you're not constantly thinking about the flavor. It's forgettable in a good way. Thank you so much, Lauren, for chatting today. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where we celebrate the most empty-headed hotties in our social feeds. EJ has, has some opinions on this type of animal <laughs> that is about to be our himbo. I didn't want to spoil too much of what our himbo was going to be, but like, clearly he is an animal. So EJ, tell us your bird thing. So we're not going to reveal what type of animal it is. I'm just going to tell you what I don't like about this animal. And then the listener will, okay, I like that. I want an element of surprise. Like I want an element of like, who's the himbo of the week? Like our listeners are waiting. That's very artistic. That's like yeah. cool. Picasso. I like that. I want a slow reveal. Okay. So this animal is scary. To me, it is weird that they were dinosaurs. Other people might feel differently and think it's cool. I think it's weird. They have beady eyes and they shit where they pee. Those are my four hints that I'm giving you. Do you want to say what it is now? It's a bird. I don't like birds. <laughs> I don't have strong feelings about birds. I have a lot of bird watching friends, so I have a respect for their hobby. But I'm like, I don't want to hang out with a bird. I don't want to spend personal time with a bird. I don't like when they come near me. But I think many of them are pretty. Have you have you spent time with a bird? I had two birds when I was a kid. Oh, really? You didn't mention that? Were they parakeets? I mean, I was like barely conscious. Like I was like four. So I really don't remember much about having these birds. They were lovebirds. 
I named them Grandma and Papa after my grandma and Papa because <laughs> I didn't know any other names. That's cute. <laughs> That's really cute, though. I didn't know that other names existed. So I named Grandma and Papa and then they died. <laughs> Much like my grandma and Papa would. Were your grandparents, were they touched or were they like you named us after a disgusting animal? They were touched by it. They thought it was cute for a four year old who had no concept of other names. I love your stories about how supportive your family was. I mean, I was an only child. I for sure probably ended there. I was an only child. Like the little sister I mentioned is like a half sister who's like 20 years younger than me. So I grew up as an only child and in a house of three adults. So I was deeply adored. Is nice. That's why I'm such a narcissist now. Do you want to say who the himbo is? So I think EJ, you have to make an exception for our himbo of the week, who is Emmanuel the emu. And he is the himbo of the week by popular demand. So Emmanuel is seven years old, five foot eight and 120 pounds. Love a short king. And he's become popular on TikTok for interrupting his owner, farmer Taylor Blake's videos, where she tries to document life on knuckle bump farms in Florida, which is a great farm name. Just want to point that out where she and her family lives. His presence is always heralded by the following catchphrase. Emmanuel, do not do it. Emmanuel, don't do it. Emmanuel, don't do it. I'm trying to educate people right now, okay? He's constantly trying to get in the frame or knock phone over. Occasionally, this woman refers to him by his Christian name, Emmanuel Todd Lopez. He doesn't listen to authority. He simply doesn't care. If he were in a movie, he would be played by young Latinx Ashton Kutcher. Apparently, there is another emu on the farm named Ellen, and fans have shipped the two of them extensively. I don't know how I feel about shipping emus. Why not? What offends you about it? I don't know. <laughs> they can't They can't speak up for themselves. <laughs> they can't consent. <laughs> they can't consent to being shipped. <laughs> I actually just have, like, the most intrusive memory, which is that I for- completely forgot about it until, like, literally this moment while we're talking about Emmanuel. But, like, I stayed on an emu farm. Why? Why? One time. Why? There's <laughs> an Airbnb available in Atlanta. And I was there for a couple of reasons. I was there for Pop-Up Magazine. And then I had like an extra night and my friend Eric was there. And so we were like, let's stay in this weird Airbnb, which was an emu farm. And it's kind of like a, like a, just like a house in a suburb. And the guy owns like a ton of exotic birds. It's actually your worst nightmare. And it's like all the birds just roam free. It was mating season. Like the emus were literally like sniffing us the entire time. Like we were walking through the backyard and we had these like emus just hovering over us like sniffing our armpits didn't regret it but like it did smell pretty bad we weren't formally introduced to them we just kind of explored on our own like it's kind of crazy that this guy was just like you can walk around my emu farm where the birds just roam free his only warning was that it was mating season that's all he gave us he was just like by the way it's mating season and then sent us on our way <laughs> and they just like wouldn't stop sniffing us it was super weird and like a little bit terrifying you would have absolutely yeah hated it doesn't it. it doesn't sound like a good time fans have non-consensually shipped ellen and emmanuel but according to taylor emmanuel hates ellen yeah oh which is his right wow. dakota johnson of the Why farm is it the dakota johnson of the farm because dakota johnson canceled <laughs> ellen i didn't even make that <laughs> Can you tell I haven't eaten lunch today? I'm slow. I'm lightly losing my mind while we're recording. <laughs> anyway, congrats to Emmanuel Todd Lopez, our himbo of the week. I hope that it's mating season for him as well. <laughs> but not with Ellen. Not with Ellen. <laughs> Hold on. You were scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. 
Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, Brittany Spanos, and EJ Dixon. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio.